I'm Mark Kilmer, and I listen to the movie Bunker Podcast. Hi, it's Chris here from the Movie Bunker Podcast. On today's episode, we're joined by art teacher, film writer, and podcaster Simon Collum. After the interview, Matthew delivers his final pitch. It's a good one. Enjoy the interview and catch you on the other side. Hey, it's Chris from the Movie Bunker podcast, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Simon Collum. Welcome to the bunker, Simon. Hello, hello. Glad to be here. This is great. So you've been cajoled into joining in the bunker chat about these films that are critically panned. What got you into movies in the first place? Your background is is a bit of journalism, podcasting. So where did it all begin? I started blogging about yeah. 10 years ago, which was fine. And then I, start, I got involved in the, the LAM, the large association of movie blogs, which was this kind of ramshackle group of bloggers from across the movie writing thing. This yeah. is all before Twitter. I think you've got a lot of people who... They, they blogged because they wanted to kind of share their thoughts. But now you have Twitter, you can kind of share your thoughts just instantaneously in a, you know, whatever small character amount of letters, you know, you mm. just send it off. But back then it was everybody had a blog. And so that's what I did. And then I thought, okay, I want to do more of this. And so I tried to kind of, I dipped my toe in the idea of, you know, uh, pitching to film people of magazines as well. I managed to get one article or one very small sidebar even into Empire, which is my kind of big thing, which I kind of am very proud of. But, you know, and I sometimes pitch, but I never pitch it enough, to be perfectly honest. The thing is, is that by day, I'm an art teacher and I love that part of my life as well. So I'm always kind of torn between yeah. whether I'm going to be getting involved with art and art teaching and art education and the kind of educational side of my passion which which is like every day in my day job ultimately yeah. um or do i make time to watch movies read reviews analyze you know that type of text and then try and write and trying to even be even close to that kind of uh, writing so it, it, I'm, i feel quite lucky that i've got these this kind of personal passion mm. simultaneously with the kind of job that i really enjoy but it means ultimately that with regards to the film writing, I, I've never really jumped into it foot feet first. If I get rejected from one uh, uh, pitch, then I probably won't pitch anybody for like six months or a year or something because I'm just like, oh, you know, I'm rubbish. <laughs> that, that, then I just leave it. And it's much more secure writing for like Culture Fly, which I do film reviews for, you know, which is, you know, just a bit, you know, just a bit of fun with a very small kind of thing. Um, or, I mean, lately I did a first review for Hey You Guys, which is nice. Um, I used to write for Flickr and Myth and, you know, but all of these were just, you know, I knew the people who I'm writing for and they knew me. So it was a much more comfortable kind of process as opposed to the rejection associated yeah, with Yeah, well, I'm getting, you're kind of scratching that itch with Culturefly, aren't you, that you've got with all this, the, the sort of multimedia-ness about that podcast and how you, you've got, you're, you're regularly visiting our exhibitions, so that kind of, that deals with that side of your passion and then you've got movie reviews as you say and there's other sort of installations and things that you discuss on that podcast and then the other yeah, podcast yeah. that i listened to recently which was the, the marvel rewatch which is another yeah. i guess a massive undertaking on your behalf and, and the co-hosts that you <laughs> had on the show i guess not another marvel podcast in the way that you would expect because you delved a lot deeper in terms of soundtracks with obviously amon's 
passion for soundtracks and the your other co-host which i forget her name which was the looking so yeah looking at the um costumes and all the kind of all, all that sort of set dressing and things i mean how that, did that how did that happen i mean what, what, what how did that decision come to sort of immerse yourself in the marvel universe again I think when Infinity War came out, I felt like I missed an opportunity to rewatch all the films. And then I thought, actually, with Endgame, I mean, that's the real end. They did that very clever thing, didn't they? Where they were like, Infinity War, it all ends here. And then yeah. we all went to see that. And they were like, Endgame, it really ends here. And then we're all, <laughs> all like, okay. And we're all trying to rewatch it again. But I didn't rewatch them before Infinity War. And I thought, I don't, and I never really got into the TV series. So I'd only watched a couple of episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and all that kind of thing. So I thought, this will be my way to watch all the TV series, all the films, and really immerse myself in this in the run-up to Endgame. And I started Agent Carter, and I kind of tweeted about it, and Sabina then got in touch and said, oh, you know, we should, you should do a podcast. Sabina, as I'm sure you know, is obsessed with Agent Carter. So mm. she, that was like, great. And then, of course, Amon I knew from seeing around in London and knowing personally, and he just knows everything about comics. You know, uh, mm. you know, his kind of knowledge on that was just, you know, second to none. So I kind of reached out to him and he was well up for it as well. And because it, I think because it was only like a 20 episode arc, you know, we yeah. could just say, right, we know that for this period between it was January and April, we just kind of just went for it. And uh, yeah, it was great fun. Really, really great fun. Yeah, it's a crack. And listen, I did a, a binge on it, I think, before captain marvel was coming out and then i i kind of got in got up to date for that so that i could hear that review coming and then you still kind of delved into other films that were still in your kind of trajectory and then mm. you know end game came out yeah, it's a cracking listen and i recommend it to anybody who wants to sort of carry on the nostalgia that is the i mean because i for me i'm not entirely sure where those movies are going and i know hopefully they're going in a good direction and that the quality won't dip at all but um there's always that thing in the back of your mind where you ask, well, have we seen the best that they can offer and are, are things now going to be sort of a little bit too different and a different audience potentially i don't know but i'm, I'm hopeful that it'll carry on there's definitely this kind of uncharted territory element on the nature of universes because they're so big yeah i mean to watch i mean there's already a sense of like uh, the Netflix Marvel series seem to be non-canon to some extent, though I heard rumours that, that Charlie Cox might reprise his role as Daredevil in some guys. But, you know, I, I'm kind of I like, we're going to get to a point where at the very least, up, up until Endgame, you could watch everything quite, you know, manageably to some extent. Whereas now it's going to keep getting bigger. These TV series with Disney Plus are going to be bigger and they're going to be more commonplace and there's, and I just wonder how, like, if you're a kid now, I mean, granted, yeah, I've got all these films to watch prior, but it's just so much. Whereas, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but when the new James Bond came out, you could watch the new James Bond and then you could, oh, I watched the previous 18 films and that'd be it. But there's already over 20 films, 22, I think now with the Marvel Universe. And it's just, you know, it's quite a lot. And I don't know how people will be able to easily access that, but... We'll see. We'll see. I mean, there's nothing. There's nothing like it in the in, in cinema at the moment, and you know that's crazy. Yeah, in Feige, we trust. I think that's kind of the motto we have to have. What movie have you chosen for us in the bunker today? I've chosen M Night Shyamalan's, and you've got to have that name at, at the top of the film title here. M Night Shyamalan's The Village. We have always had since the day we settled here a gentle understanding with the creatures who 
live beyond our borders. We do not stray into their woods. They do not come into our village. I have always pictured them in some ways as our protectors. They have allowed us to live here, nestled amongst them in this untouched place. By the markings we find this morning on our homes, I feel they were warning us. We may question ourselves at moments such as these. Did we make the right decision to settle here? I fear our days of peace are over. Right now, in 2019, M. Night Shyamalan is a, is a tricky one. I don't know. I mean, he had that kind of revival of some sort, but I feel like Glass didn't secure everybody's <laughs> feeling about him. But The Village, for me, is my favourite film of all of his, which yeah. I think for some people, that, that's kind of, they're like, what? what? They can't believe that. Yeah. But for me, yeah, it's definitely my favourite. <laughs> There's so much to delve into with this movie. I guess I wanted to touch on a few things with, with regards to M. Night Shyamalan and his kind of reputation um, of being like this fantastic new visionary like director and writer. And then is is kind of, is full from grace. And whether you kind of believe in that or not, I mean, what what are your kind of feelings towards his, his the quality in his, his output? Uh, I mean, I think... I, I do think he's got he's a he's a fascinating director in a lot of ways, but of course, I think he's definitely a filmmaker who is aspiring to make films that are simultaneously crowd pleasing, blockbuster kind of things for the most part, but also and successful ultimately, uh, but also films that try to reach a little bit higher, try to go for something a little bit more profound, something a bit bigger than you know just a good scare movie or just a good sci-fi or whatnot they, they're always trying to do something more and i think for me I'm, I'm very much a fan of ambition if you have a filmmaker who's trying to do something big take prometheus for example he's trying to do something big and he might fail a little bit but actually that ambition i'd take that any day over a filmmaker who's just trying to have something that has no depth no meaning no purpose just a bit of fun you know yeah. what I mean? That's sometimes, uh, uh, I, I'd rather the ambition, personally. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, has that, yeah. he definitely does in spades. And I think it's difficult to criticise, although many people do criticise um, what, what he has committed to celluloid, I guess, since you know being held as this kind of new new age of cinema sort of thing with signs, especially out of, sorry, uh, The Sixth Sense even. But um, I, I completely agree, as I say. I mean, I've heard whether or not it's true that he's, he does self-finance a lot of his um his projects he 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 writes obviously he gambled and, and every yeah. he gambled everything on split um and even the visit when he made that the visit which was his first film is it with the with bloomhouse yep 
um, he kind of made that one and he, he went to the studios and he made it all himself and, and put, went around Hollywood and said, here we go, is anybody going to take this? And they're all like, no. Mm. And so he was like, oh my God. But the, the guy, is it Jason Bloom? Is that right? He, he was the one who said, okay, let's do this. And then they did split. And of course, you know, he had full faith in that whole concept. The idea of doing a sequel that wouldn't cash in on the, you know, if, if Split was sold as a sequel to Unbreakable, they'd have made double the box office to some extent. And yet they didn't do that. Um, and that's, that's, that's incredible. That's incredibly brave on their part to do that. Um, but I think it, it's, it's a testament to, I suspect, uh, Jason Bloom probably likes his, his integrity, that he is trying to do something bigger and something that has meaning. And I, I, like I said, I appreciate that too. Well, you had the whole, is he a one trick pony with the whole twist ending? Yeah. And, and personally, I've always found that such a frustration because I feel like with, with Unbreakable, it, it's not so much a twist, just more a reveal. Like mm. the film doesn't hinge on the fact that he's Mr. Glass. I mean, granted it adds a lot more depth, but ultimately by the time you get to that, David Dunn has found his purpose and you know what I mean? Mm. It almost feels like you're at the end of the film and then you have that moment where always oh, Mr. Glass and you go, okay, that's impressive too. But you know, it's not quite the same as the entire film changes its meaning in the same way as Sixth Sense, I would argue. Yeah. Um, signs, I would argue the same thing. I think it's just a reveal, I guess. I mean, yeah. in any sci-fi film, you have to defeat the aliens. You wouldn't turn around and say Independence Day. It's a twist ending when they realize that they have to do a virus. I mean, it, that just happens to be the way that that ends. Yeah. And then obviously, but I guess the village is one where it does have a twist. But as we yeah. get into it later, um, I, d I think that's probably the least important part of the film. But it does add a really interesting layer and a really interesting critical commentary. What did you think of Lady in the Water? No one really, really talks about it anymore. There was a book actually about the making of that, which was very critical and very harsh on M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah. And obviously, ultimately, the film didn't do particularly well. I don't, doesn't have when you have a critic being framed as yeah. a moron. Um, I, I've seen it a couple of times. I haven't seen it for years. And I think, funnily enough, when you, have, when you had Lady in the Water and The Happening, they were two films which kind of, I kind of watched multiple times when they first came out and probably watched The Happening more, more than that. And I mm. always come away feeling like, I really want to like this film, uh, but I just can't quite do it. You know, it's kind of weird yeah. when you think about how much time you will give to a film or a filmmaker which you'd never give to anybody else i'd never watch bloody michael like transformers revenge of the fallen four times to work yeah. out if i really like it but i'll do that with the happening and lady in the water and still come away going doesn't quite work for me but there's there's good things in them i mean there's points yeah. in it which are good the lady in the water soundtrack has been used countless times because it's so impressive and you just see it everywhere in trailers it's just but that's an incredible score by james newton howard the, the casting then the casting choices for um, the village it, it's it's just gold isn't it it's uh it's outstanding uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, we would we, uh, obviously back then was probably a quite an emerging actor, I guess. And Jackie yeah. uh, uh, Phoenix, we know, obviously has gone on to do amazingly great things. And um, Adrian Brody, William Hurt, Sigourney Weaver, Brendan Gleeson, 
um it goes on and on and there's even uh, jesse eisenberg in here which i was thinking i don't even remember him in this yeah he doesn't have he doesn't have many lines but he just happens to be a character in in the village as it were just a teenager in 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 there i mean it's an outstanding cast I mean, it's just i think you know when you have like joaquin phoenix remember he was in signs so you had this kind of carry on in the same way he had bruce willis in both Unbreakable and Sixth Sense, you had mm-hmm. Joaquin Phoenix, who was in both uh, The Village and Signs. Mm-hmm. And in both films, I mean, he's just outstanding. And what's obviously brilliant about The Village is how it kind of begins as this story where you see Joaquin Phoenix as this kind of central role, Lucius Hunt. And then obviously halfway through, it completely changes and it becomes Bryce Dallas Howard's film. And, uh, you know, we see where that leads. And I, I just love that switch. <laughs> It's really creepy. And I, I think that's what I really enjoyed about it is the fact that you, you, I'm not a particularly switched on person when it comes to things. I do need things sometimes spelling out. I'm always the last person to catch the twist, the last person to actually put two and two together and get, oh yeah, it takes me a lot longer. I don't know why. I'm just a very <laughs> naive guy. Um, probably a, a filmmaker's del- a dream. Uh, I'm, the, I'm the right audience for everything because I'll believe everything until actually the last minute. So with the, the kind of reveal, I as you say, the kind of mystical elements of this movie, I was well on board with thinking, oh, wow, this is so creepy. And the first visit, if you like, that they get from these creatures in the woods, because I don't, I don't think we need, really need to explain the plot to people, because I think mm. everyone well and truly will understand this movie and um, be aware of the kind of plot devices that it has. But when those creatures turn up for the first time with the red hood, with the spikes and the kind of giant hedgehogs, aren't they, sort of hunched over with mm. these yeah. um, red yeah. cloaks on, I was bricking it. It was so creepy and scary and uh, and the acting as well and the kind of chemistry between um, uh, Yakin Phoenix and, and Brees Dallas, Howard's characters, was spot on. And you could really tell that they were, that they, you, could, you believed that they cared for each other and, and how that, that sort of relationship was going to evolve without the issues that that sort of turn up later on in the film but you know creature wise and effects wise it's so basic but it does the trick doesn't it yeah i think it's i've i've seen that a lot so like the scary bits with that red cloak and stuff i mean i i get the tension i can obviously always buy into that but of course when you when you watch it and you know the end and you know how these are the people in the village or or Agent Brody's, Brody's character, Noah Percy. Um, but you, when you kind of know, you get, you're more aware of that. So I'm, I'm always wrapped in the love between Bryce Dallas and Joaquin Phoenix. They're, it's so pure and so innocent. I can't help, like that moment when she's holding her hand out, which I think the first time I saw the film, and bear in mind, it's worth reminding ourselves, Roger Deakins' cinematography is just out of this world. I mean, it mm. just looks stunning. Um, but that moment when she's holding her hand out, I mean, when I'm watching it, when I first watch it, you're, you're obviously scared, you know, these creatures are going to gonna get him. But when I watch it now, I'm just waiting for, for uh, Lucius Hunt, uh, that was it, Joaquin Phoenix's character, just take that hand and that swell of music. And that moment reveals so much about how he protects her and how he loves her and how the horror, while almost the kind of uh, disguise of this film in terms of publicity, in terms of what we're brought into, the romance in this film is just, for me, what I come back to time and time again. And those two characters and their love, oh, it just gets me every time. It, it really does make me well up and gives me goosebumps when I'm watching yeah. it. And for a film that is generally considered, oh, you know, 
oh, you're stupid, you're stupid plot and all that kind of stuff, which people can be so dismissive. I really get wrapped up in that, in that uh, kind of honesty, that beauty of that kind of love, young love, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think you're, you're spot on in terms of the, the feels of this movie, to put it in, in a really basic way, because William Hurt's characters are going, well, all the parents um, who, who make the decision to, to isolate themselves and to bring up their children and, and live in a pure environment, um, as a, I guess, as a parent and, a, a, and someone who's you know, in their 40s now and looking back at my life and looking forward at my children's lives, it just seems like the most idyllic and, and, and most normal thing to do. Uh, that's, that's, that's how it frames it. It frames yeah. it like that. When, mm. when you actually think about it for a few seconds, they're awful people that they've, they've isolated their children. They've forced and restrained their perspective on the world. They've got no experience of, ever, of the diversity of culture in the mm. world and all that kind of stuff, because that's their only experience. They've let children die because mm. of their belief in mm. what they believe is right. Um, I, I think, especially in the current climate, I think you can't help but find that kind of, it's fascinating to see this film told from the perspective of, them in the village and the beauty of this isolation and then actually realize how damaging this has been i mean brendan gleason's character it's just a small role but the fact that it begins with him burying his child and mm. that we realize that that's something that could have been stopped could have yeah. been different yeah i hadn't thought i hadn't thought about it that way i just kind of was feeling about this thinking about this kind of idyllic but it's but it, but you're supposed to see it like that. You're supposed yeah. to think how beautiful it is, and it is beautiful. And obviously, that's the way it's shot and the way it looks. And I think you do buy into that. But of course, it makes it so much more complicated when uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, Ivy Walker finds out about the the truth, and then ultimately when she comes back and you see them gathered around and saying to each other, "Is this what we want to continue?" To doing and obviously just leaves that lingering in the air mm. um because that's got all sorts of complicated issues with it mm. i mean the, the moment you see uh, adrian brody's parents when they kind of come back and somebody says like runs in and goes you know ivy walker she saw a creature and but he but they killed him but she killed him you know mm. and then you see his parents just break down because they know that's her that's his son that's their son who's died mm. i mean I, I'm, I'm i'm literally getting goosebumps as i'm talking to you about this it's just heartbreaking yeah. they've invested in this because of such hurt in their own lives mm. and yet this has now got to this point where they have to make this decision and you know i don't i mean it, it's complicated but i i love it i really love it <laughs> i always think about when i saw shutter island without i won't give anything away to it but i remember the whole time thinking what would happen at the end would ha happen um mm. and so the whole time i'm watching it i was thinking i'll bet this is the case and then it's revealed that it is the case <laughs> and so you know I, I mean that's a perfect example of oh i saw this twist coming but i think a great film it's kind of like it, it, it shouldn't kind of matter like obviously they're going to be laying breadcrumbs to hint at this and when you again with the village there's points in it where obviously the people the families have under the stairs and all these different reasons why it, it clearly is set in a contemporary period um but i think it's more a question as to why which is interesting why have they done this 
Mm. And I think, therefore, that twist, like, and it was the same with Shutter Island, because ultimately, what happened at the end, you're just thinking, you, you want to know if, if that, that's the case or not, fine, mm. and that's a twist. But actually, I'm more interested and I'm more engaged by the question and the answer to why is this happening? Why did they do that? Why did they go and create this village? And when you find out that they've all gone through these horrific experiences independently and collectively decided to say, do you know what? I'm sick of the world. I'm mm. going to create our own little world. Um, again, heartbreaking, but fascinating and a really interesting kind of dilemma because people do that. People do isolate themselves from the things around them. People say, you know, oh, I'm just going to not vote. It's just nothing to do with me, or I'm just going to not do this. I'm just going to, you know, why do I need to worry about anybody else? And they just isolate themselves away mm. from things. So there's that microcosm example, but I think it's relevant. Do you embrace the world with all its flaws, or do you isolate yourself away? And that's an interesting conflict. Oh dear, what a what a road, what a rocky road. <laughs> <laughs> I feel depressed. But, you know, who knew M. Night Shyamalan would do this? Yeah, you know what I mean? But yeah. I mean it, it's fascinating watching something like, when you watch his first four films, mm. nothing seems out of place. There's a certain type of language and how they speak. And I think in the village in particular, there's a very weird way that they speak. And the actors kind of have to be able to deliver that, you know? Mm. And I think like Mel Gibson, who's obviously the centre of signs, he manages to deliver it particularly well. And obviously Bruce Willis in the first two as well. But when you watch something like that happening, I feel like the problem there isn't so much the story, but I think it's Mark Wahlberg's delivery. I just don't think he delivers it very well. But it, but there's nothing different, I think. You can very clearly hear the same writer behind the happening. I think it's why I'm quite, I like revisiting that one because there's so many interesting scenes and there's so many interesting moments and there's, you know, but, but it ultimately doesn't hang together. But I think it's because of the delivery of the language. But in terms of the village, the language is just so unusual. And again, mm. you have to kind of run with that. And I think that that's something which I think some people are just like, you know what? I'm, I'm out. I don't want to. This is weird. Well, <laughs> but not, you... not me, of course. No, no, me neither. I think I've always had a, a belief that his, his next movie is going to be, you know, back on or not not for me, but for, for maybe the wider audience to say, I really want him to do really well again, uh, because I, I admire him um, for what he does and his, in the way he approaches cinema making. Um, he's not, he's, he's, he's different uh, to a lot of other directors and filmmakers out there. But I'm interested to see what he does next. And I know he's connected to some sort of horror film or maybe a TV series again. Um, but what do you think the future is for him? I mean, I, I know it's difficult to say, but what would you like him to do uh, if, if, if you could have a word with him? Well, I think it's funny, isn't it? Because now we're in a period where he's delivered on the sequel, which we all wanted from Unbreakable. Because um, yeah. that was always the thing which people had, you know, were waiting for. Do you know, I'm not a big horror, horror film fan, funnily enough. Um, mm. Because... I, uh, and so Sixth Sense, though I really like the film, of course, um, I, I think the horror kind of gory kind of stuff, not that it's particularly gory compared to like Saw or something, but you know what I mean? There are moments of shock and, yeah. and whatnot. Um, I'm kind of not as interested in that. So when he made The Visit, I, wa I watched it and I, I liked it, but, it, but that's very much you know, a horror film, you know? Yeah. And even Split has, is very much a horror film. Um, and, and, and while I can appreciate it, 
I, it's not my bag. I'd be yeah, very curious yeah. to see what uh, he'd, how he'd do with a sci-fi in space or something like that, or to make see what he'd do with a kind of more urban setting, which isn't the happening because the happening a lot of that was in New York, if I remember rightly, and then yeah. they get out actually into the more rural areas later on. But I'd love to see a, something more city-based. For example, like he's done in uh, Sixth Sense and Unbreakable, when they're more like in the city, because they're always in Philadelphia. A lot of his films, are yeah, yeah, linked yeah. to Philadelphia. So I'd love to see something like that. He needs to stay well away from properties like The Last Airbender or any type of uh, <laughs> franchise family family film. I think we've been there. It didn't work. That's okay. Just stand back and you know do do something else. But. For, I'm, I'm kind of, I'd love to see him try something else because I think, again, his, the way he works, the way he sees things, the way, I mean, if he can get James Newton Howard back, I think like with Glass, that was the biggest loss that you didn't get James Newton Howard's themes throughout the film. And I know you have moments where those themes from Unbreakable come through and they obviously had the rights to them, but you can, I always felt like it was missing that, 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 that score throughout the film uh, myself. But... I'd love to see him tackle just something completely different, but not a horror. Ideally, explicitly not a horror. That would be prefer- preferred by me anyway. Those first four films, you can't take them away from him. And it was he's not a one-hit wonder. They, those all four do all stack up. Um, yeah. So it's just trying to get him back onto that. that there's something there. You know? well, let's put our heads together and see if we can come up with some sort of pitch for him. I've got a few up my sleeve, so uh, let's see if he'd like to... <laughs> Do you think he'd entertain that? I don't think he would, to be honest. Well, well, <laughs> see, he did After Earth, didn't he? And that was—I don't remember oh, yes. if he wrote the script or if he didn't, or if it wasn't his story. There was something about it which ultimately wasn't his. That he was kind of a director for hire on After. Yeah, Earth. After Earth has famous... come up. He's come up in our one of our choices for sci-fi flicks that we occasionally on the on the podcast we 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 put out to the audience so I could choose. Okay, next week's genre will be sci-fi, and we pick the worst four, and that that's come up a couple of times. And uh, I'd li- I'd like to do it. I've I've seen it a couple of times. I don't think it's that bad either. It's another one yeah, of those but, ones. That, it's not but that, that bad. But famously, <laughs> that was like you just imagine if you were Will Smith and you just went to Ebony Shaman and said, "You know what? You're a great director. Every film I make does well, so we should make a film, and your career will." will be back to back on track and then after earth bombed royally like the worst worst film in will smith's career yeah. in terms of box office and it was like what like it's crazy that that can happen but you know what a not, this man it's not even that bad i mean i know his sons i mean maybe maybe it's the son maybe it's just too close and you know i don't know with him having his own son in the movie but that's been done before but uh, yeah there's bits in that movie that are really good i I, I was looking forward to it. I enjoyed it. It's like I enjoyed, like you say, so, so many of his films. The only one I haven't seen, which again is, is kind of rattling away in the, in the bunker drawer, is, is the Airbender one. But um, I just don't think it's, it's kind of one of those films that is, is that famous for being that bad. That it's kind of un, we kind of don't want to go there. It's kind of like, well, is there anything good in this movie? You know, I'm trying to find the good things out of all these, these critically panned movies. But I don't think... I don't think there's anything to celebrate about that one. I just, from what I can, what I read and what I see, it's just. Dev Patel is a villain, which is pretty cool. Like that's Dev Patel in like, you know, uh, you know, that kind of very unusual role. Um, So there's that interesting. And there is an incredible scene at the end with a wave, as I recall, 
people. And my brother, my younger brother, who, you know, we will talk about M. Night Shyamalan, our love for his films. And um, he, he, he's very much, he's seen it multiple times. He really enjoys yeah. it. But I think he, I mean, he's in a minority. I always just remember how people said that there was like points at the start when they'd look at the ground and there was like cracks in the ice. And then the character would like stop and look at each other and they'd be like, the ice. And they'd look back down it's cracking and it was just like oh my gosh uh, it's very difficult to to like that film I, I i ultimately can't i just couldn't get around get on board i'd like to but i haven't even seen it a second time one day i shall delve into uh, the box set of um, m night Shyamalan and just watch everything in one row but until that time i've got <laughs> holmes and watson to watch or whatever you know, there's, there's too many bad films out there What's what's next for you then, Simon? Is there any what's kind of bubbling away that you're really interested in or, or going to write about next? Do you think? Oh, I don't know. I I, th- I think like I, you know, it's all very much. I'll find something very exciting which I'm engaged in, and then I'll, I'll just kind of do it. Like um, at the moment, that I'm, there's another podcast I'm, I'm guesting on, um, and I think I'll be talking about Marriage Story, and oh, that yeah. gives me the excuse to watch a lot of Noah Baumbach, which is not a problem. Yeah. Um, so that that's coming up soon. So yeah. And in terms of um, the Culture Fly podcast, you've just done an episode on Terminator and other bits and pieces. That's just kind of the only thing I can remember from that's that podcast because a but lot of it. Just we've just started a new thing where we're going to talk about like uh, multiple films um, of the same kind of genre or the same filmmaker. And the next episode is for is all is about four musicals, and we talk about Singing in the Rain. West Side Story, Sing Street, and Dreamgirls. Um, so that's a lot of fun. And that's coming up very soon. That's going to be one of the Culture Fly episodes coming up. And, and Sing Street is an amazing movie. I love that film oh my so God. much. It's brilliant. Well, look, oh, it's been fantastic um, you coming on the show and talking about a, a magnificent film, which is no way going to stay in the bunker. It's, 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 it's being released for the public to enjoy, and so they should. Um, and where can we find watch rewatch rewatch and put it back on the dvd shelves of the masses where can what's your twitter handles and your your um i'm on twitter at screen insight um and of course i've got a website www.simoncolumn.com c-o-l-u-m-b unusually but yeah if you want to check out my lighting thanks again uh, simon it's been brilliant talking to you today thanks so much chris it's pitch time it is pitch time and have we decided this is the final ever pitch, Chris? Yeah, we're not doing the pitches anymore. We're not doing the pitches anymore because we've run out of pitch. We well, we haven't run out of pitch. We're, I'm not going to say that out loud. I'm going to say what we've done is uh, all the other pitches inside our head are just too damn valuable. We think we it's give, time to maybe keep a lot of these ideas to ourselves because... Giving this shit away for free. Yeah, free, it's, man. It's not on. And also, actually, we've realised that it's a pretty... It's tricky. <laughs> it's very tricky. It's tricky. So we're going to try something else for the next uh, interview episode. So yeah, stay tuned for those those updates. <laughs> I don't know how how that's going to work. <laughs> I, I guess it'd be at the end of the film. The next film on we'll we'll, we'll announce we'll announce what the pitch replacement will be. But we know what it is. But we're going to say it then. We're going to leave you on tenterhooks. Mm, I can't wait. But so mm, yeah, you're, you're seeing us out because you you started this whole pitch malarkey. And now you're, yes. you're finishing it. So, so um, we didn't want to leave our dedicated viewers dangling because two pitches back when it was my pitch 
there was talk of the famous Vegas pitch. <laughs> yes. So, do you remember the Vegas pitch? And like, um, so um, with this podcast, we will detail exactly what the Vegas pitch was and mm. see whether or not it was, it was worthy to be forgotten by me or worthy to be remembered by you. Who was the most worthy? Mm. Well, it makes sense. It, it does, but let's um, flesh it a little bit. So there's a pitch that you did, you pitched me in about 2006 or 2007, I can't remember. Yeah, we were both sat dead fish-eyed outside a shop uh, whilst our respective girlfriends at the time, or were we married? I don't know. No, I don't think so. We weren't married. Girlfriends at the time were, were doing their six consecutive hours of shopping. <laughs> and um, our jovial... Happy-go-lucky spirits had left us by, despite being in Vegas. It was only beer and sugar donuts that was keeping me going. <laughs> and so we were sat by a fountain, and um, <laughs> slightly morose. And I sort of looked across to you, looked you in your eye, and said, "I've got a film, Chris, and I want to <laughs> pitch it to you." <laughs> yeah, yeah, you did pretty much say, "I've got a film idea." What do you think of it? <laughs> in between mouthfuls of donut and swigs of lager <laughs> yeah. so that's, that's all great cast, films are made cast in mind let's just imagine yourselves in that situation so i'm going to close my eyes because it's the only way to do this yeah you're into that i'm, yeah. I'm going to keep mine open so i don't bump into the microphone um okay so the the, the pitch was so the high line um of the pitch and how i opened it up to you was um oceans 11 in hell uh so again there's a theme in these podcasts ours tend to be sort of um on the occult side of things zombies now <laughs> but um so in my mind it was a comedic caper and i i love a good caper mm. film um the ocean's Eleven films love them welcome to collingwood it's a great film if you've never seen that film watch that film it's um it's kind of the complete opposite of all the glitz and glamour of ocean's 11 but with the same kind of vibe to it. It's just, I like, I like the double takey things, the original Italian job, the other Italian job, which would have been a good film had they not used the words Italian job in the title because it had nothing to fucking do with that film. <laughs> Yeah, Mr. Bean the movie, that's quite a caper. Mr. Bean is a good one, especially when he's flicking the Vs in the cars, he's driving off. So, so yeah, so um, I love a caper film, a, a crime caper film, and this is my take on this was that, so what happens um, in the plot, so is, is a, there's an everyman, there's always an everyman, he's, he's our favourite character in England, we love an everyman, or an every woman it could be actually, I suppose, it's a really difference, and um, he's getting around his drudgery job wise and then one morning he's woken up with a, an eclectic cast of characters are sat around his bed uh, and they can be uh, all sorts like a i'm imagining a kind of dwarven smelly man um a very glamorous male kind of peacock uh, kind of character um all sorts of you know about five five kind of strange and um, fantastical people and obviously he's thrown by this fact that they're in his room in the morning they then take to convincing him that he's actually a descendant of lucifer and is required for their um heist into hell so the, the premise is is that um there's a thing in the bible about a rich man um has got as much chance of getting into heaven as a camel going through the eye of a needle probably not in the bible that because he didn't have needles 
I'm guessing. But the, the thought is, is that if, if people in heaven don't need or don't take their money with them, then, the, then in hell, you have your money down there, but you can't touch it. It's useless. It's pointless. So there's huge piles of cash in hell just knocking about. And the, uh, the eclectic group want to go and steal that, but to get in, to go through the first initial gate and to subsequent uh, other portions of the journey, they need someone of the blood of Lucifer, the original demon itself, so they can get through. So this is why they're here. The usual comedy kind of, no, it's not me, blah, blah, blah. Um, then entails, they finally convince the, the, uh, the protagonist to join their merry little band, and then they take on a caper into hell. So these characters, are they in leather? Are they dressed in a sort of a leather? One's in leather. Yeah. <laughs> Another one is in a marvellous tweed. They don't, they don't look like, like extras from, I don't know, some sort of uh, the Matrix or something. They just look... They look God, like, no, no. Some, no. no something, something a lot more sort of like... Normal. normal. Maybe sort of timecast. So, you know, you've got like a Victorian lady, maybe a... Uh, a, a you know soldier gent yeah you know, a certain time that kind of thing something something very visual and eclectic and yeah and does it, the, did, sorry, sorry yes. can I just ask you another question were they do yeah. they do they all have like special powers they will have the, they all bring something to the party I think that's an important part of all of these caper movies you have you always have the explosive person that's either replaced or augmented by a hacker person. You always have someone that can open a door. You always have someone that can take out a guard or two. So yeah, you're going to need similar I'm, skill sets. I'm thinking of, you know, when you, as soon as you said band of men and women, I, I, I was thinking of the characters from Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. <laughs> yeah. There's no uni there though. But a little bit older. Yeah. But they could be. Well, you could have uni. You could have a uni there, just really foul-mouthed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like, by maybe, Ryan Reynolds. Maybe there's this. This is how they first appear to him. They appear to him as something from his youth to try and make it, you know, uh, gentle to him to try. Right. So look, let's go. He's watched this cartoon as a kid. <laughs> We're gonna go, and then uni's the really foul-mouthed one. Fuck you, buddy. <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, and the other, one of the scenes I always had in mind was um, as they pass into hell is that your sins become manifest. Um, and that's part of the sort of like torturous things that is. And um, because this guy's quite uninteresting and stuff, is that the, the manifest of his sins was just like 4,000 versions of him masturbating around him, <laughs> um, which I thought would be quite a humorous sin as he's trying to sort of like shuffle these fervently wanking <laughs> avatars of himself uh, away well before the other people realize <laughs> that's what his sins are okay i got it that's good that would have been good right that was really yeah good yeah that's good but yeah so that's the famous vegas pitch yeah it's uh it hasn't lost any of its sparkle none of its sparkle yeah no it was a, it was a film i would watch i would watch i would mm. watch that and we cast the character uh, in it, um, Simon Pegg, didn't we? Yeah, I think maybe he's too he's too famous now. I think we could go we could do better than Simon Pegg now. <laughs> yeah, but back back in those days, I mean, that he wasn't as nowhere near as big as he is. I tell you, he'd be good now. Is uh, Romash Raganatham? He does dry so well. Yeah, anyone that's really not built for it either. He just looks like completely normal. Yeah. 
You know, it's not someone you see in Fast and Furious Eight, right? No, no, no sort of action <laughs> hero. They have to earn their, you know, they earn their power. It's a bit like uh, Kung Fu Panda, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's, they're basically all versions of power. I mean, these are all uh, story points and things that we've seen before. It's just the setting which is kind of slightly astray, and the hilarious jokes which set it apart. <laughs> so if you could all just right now go and imagine a hilarious joke, that that's exactly what it would be like. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm up for it. And I think one, eventually when we just sort of compile all these pictures into a book, that which obviously we've got planned, then this will be, <laughs> this will be the final one, the icing on the cake, the, or the cherry on the cake, even the, the final, the glory pitch. The glory pitch. <laughs> yes, the glory shot, something that we could really get our teeth into. So there you go. That's the end of the pitch. The pitch is now gone. And then I guess it will be something else or something different. It will be something different. Very much like the top fives led into the pitches. The pitch will lead in something else. It's like Doctor Who, but slightly less Shit. interesting. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to do a film next, probably, uh, as it's the season. We'll be looking at, or at least having some ideas about some of the worst Christmas films, or the critically panned Christmas films out there, I guess. Trying to yeah, find some yeah. diamonds in the rough, because that's what we do on the podcast. None of that diehard shit. I mean, come on. Nope. Let it go, people. It's not a Christmas film. Bruce Willis did say so himself. It's not a Christmas film. Say a Christmas, but it's not a Christmas that's, movie. Like, what other film would you go, oh, that's an August the 25th film? You just wouldn't. <laughs> Excuse the pun. Diehard fans of Die Hard that will watch it <laughs> on Christmas Day it's their, or Christmas Eve or at you know, in the Christmas at uh, Christmas time, because yeah. they, they consider it to be a Christmas movie. But for me, it's it's, it, it's not a Christmas film. <laughs> but it's so still, like like in the genre of Christmas films, it's not a Christmas film. It's a film which has elements, a bits about Christmas in it. It's yeah. not a Christmas film. You don't look at it and get those sort of Christmassy vibes. It's a brilliant film. Don't get me wrong. And you can watch it any, you know, you, I'm, I'm letting you viewers, listeners, even <laughs> I'm letting you watch this anytime you want to. I'm not being draconian about it. I'm just saying, don't call it a Christmas film because it just isn't. So until next time, I guess we'll be in touch on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Get, get involved. Merry uh, Christmas, everyone. <laughs> yeah, like, and subscribe and leave a comment and a review. Oh, before we Ooh. go, that reminds me, Matt, before we do anything else, I just got to say we did get our review and we said, if we got another review on iTunes, we would read it out. Go for it, man. They deserve so, the, the, the payoff. Great podcast focusing on cinema. Great podcast. I'll just leave it. So yeah, great podcast <laughs> is the title. Uh, yeah. by Quayacom Q-U-A-I-A-C-O-M I don't know who that is it's not related to me I certainly don't know who they are but it goes like this from legitimate turkeys to unfairly maligned flicks Matt and Chris take them all on sorting out those which deserve to be locked in the bunker forever from those that maybe just maybe deserve another chance great banter good guests and some fascinating insights a must listen for movie fans Ah. That's one for the wall. Yeah, that's one for the uh, the flyer that uh, we're going to do. Eventually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so thanks ever so much. Keep them coming. We'll read them out and give you a shout out. Well done, that person, even though we can't pronounce their screen name. Until next time, Matthew, I guess. Yes. Arrivederci. <laughs> so, I thought wow. I was Italian. <laughs> Cheerio. <laughs> Ciao.